0: So it's Mother's Day today, so I thought I'd do something really creative and original, and I thought I would talk about moms. How does that work? And we're actually talking about John the Baptist. We started a series last week, and very conveniently, we get to the second part of that series, which talks about John the Baptist's birth. But let me just say before I start out here that we probably need to have a caveat, because you probably have figured out at least this much is the fact that I don't know that much about motherhood. I've never actually been a mom, don't plan to be one, and have really no hope of that. But I have been a parent, and I can't think that it's all that different. Being a, whoa, I'm in an echo chamber. Are you getting that too, or just me? Do I need to move? What's going on? Is that better? Can anybody see my notes? Okay, so, uh. but being a parent has its challenges, doesn't it? And uh, I think we can all relate to that. Um, I've had the experience of the ups and downs, the uh, the joys, and sometimes the heartaches and the frustrations. I've been through, you know, the potty training. I've been through fifth grade math like three times. I have been through all of the, the middle school friend issues. I have been through the high school schedules. They're crazy if you haven't gotten there yet. it's like It's like, you know... Nothing ever stops. Everything's just moving through your house and uh, through this whirlwind. I've actually been through the college years, too, where the different kids have called in in panic and despair that they were never going to live through that semester. And I'm happy to say that all three of my kids have lived through all uh, of those semesters, at least as far as undergrad goes. And I've, I've done the whole parenting thing. I mean, f- from you know running lunches to school because kids forgot them, actually making lunches in the morning because kids forgot to make them the night before. I had two kids. One could always remember, and the other one always forgot, even though they were living in the same house at the same time. It seemed like the, the one making his lunch would jog the memory of the one who was not making her lunch. But anyhow, I've been through that series, that too, You know, running out at the last minute to buy poster board, that's parenting, right? Parenting and poster board just kind of like go hand in hand together, and, but you never buy your poster board in advance. It's always the night before, and you hope the CVS actually has it. But so much of parenting is just learning on the fly. I remember when I, before I had kids, that was back when I was still an expert on raising kids. You, you know, you're all there. But before I had kids, it's like, this is the plan. This is how we're going to do it. And unfortunately, my kids didn't come with an instruction manual. And even if they had, by the time I got done with the first one, I could have just thrown the whole thing out because the second one was on a completely different plan. And then the third one, he was on his own plan too. And so you just make up a lot of parenting as you go. Have you have noticed that? Well, I was reading this week about some moms who were making up parenting as they went along and they were adding new rules for their homes And so I just wanted to read you this list because if you're in the mom stage right now where you have kids at home, especially where you have young kids at home, you're making it up as you go. Here's some ideas that you might want to try. I have 10 of them. Uh, Mom's rules, making it up on the fly. Number one, crayons do not go in the butter. Number two, do not lick the school bus. Number three, no head butting at the dinner table. Number four, it is not okay to put your little sister in the appliances. Number five, no stickers on the dog. Number six, do not write on the side of the car with a rock. Number seven, no putting your carrots between your toes and then eating them. The the carrots, not your toes, okay. Number eight, do not eat the dog's food. Number nine, we do not pick up people by their ears. And number 10 is my favorite. We sit on the toilet and not in it. Okay, so there you go. Um, we make it up as we go. And, and parenting has its challenges. But I think even today, if you're a parent in today's world, it's a bigger challenge than it's ever been. I remember like when my, when my parents were parents well, they, uh, and were raising us as kids, it was so easy. Like there was only one screen in the house. It was the TV. And if you got in trouble, you know, you just didn't watch TV. It wasn't like we had to find every single device that has a screen on it so we can, you know, get that away from you. And I remember like the phone, it hung on the wall. And we actually talked to people on it. And uh, imagine using a phone for something like that. And like, um, It was so much easier for them. And of course, the kids back then were so much better. At least, you know, some of us were. I don't know about all of us. But today there's a big challenge out there. It's not as easy as it used to be. And I mean that very, very sincerely and very, very seriously. Our kids are exposed to more than they've ever been exposed to. They're exposed to things at younger ages than they've ever been exposed to. They're dealing with things in the world like they've never had to deal with before. Let me just be honest about this, okay? The fact that our kids had to go through this pandemic was hard on our kids. And as a parent, that affects you as well. And parenting, I think today feels like parenting in a wilderness. Because here's what a wilderness is like. A wilderness is kind of wild out there. It's kind of scary. Sometimes it's a little bit crazy. And you know, there's not a lot of really maps for it. And there's like, very few trails, and, and it seems like when you're out there, every time you wander into another parent, they can't give you any better direction. They're just kind of like, yeah, I'm lost out here too. And it feels like we're parenting in this wilderness right now. And that goes for whether you've got kids, young kids at home, or if you've got kids that are teenagers, or kids that are college age, or that you got kids out of your house. Because here's something that I've learned is the kids could be out of the house, but you don't stop being a parent. In fact, I was just talking to, to um, someone this morning who's, I, I don't know how old her kids must be. I'm guessing 50s. And she's like, I worry about them more now than ever because we never stop being parents. So today's story, I think, really speaks to us as parents because it talks about being parents In the wilderness. In fact, let me read a verse for you in Luke chapter 1, which is where we're going to look this morning if you want to turn there or get there on your devices. But Luke chapter 1, verse number 80 says this And the child, talking about John the Baptist, grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he publicly appeared to Israel. So John the Baptist was actually a literal wilderness child. And for all of us who are wilderness parents and who have these wilderness child, I want to look at this story this morning to see what we can learn that would be a encouragement to us that would actually help us be better parents today. So this story is about Elizabeth. She is the mother of John the Baptist. Interestingly enough, that's not a familiar name to us, Elizabeth, but she only shows up in one chapter of the Bible, and that is in Luke chapter 1. In fact, the—I mean, it's the only chapter, but that means that's the only book. So even in the gospel story, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Elizabeth only shows up in the book of Luke. And this is just interesting to me, and I never really realized this until back a few months ago when we were in our Ancient Path series. Where we looked at the story of Mary and Martha when Jesus came to their house. That was in the book of Luke as well. And that story is only told in the book of Luke as well. But Luke was very tuned in to the women in the story of Christ. And the book of Luke deals with all kinds of stories Uh, of interactions with women, even parables about women that aren't included in the other three gospels. But, But Luke is like, holy, time out. Women were super important in the ministry of Jesus Christ. And so he really locks in on some of their stories. And so the story of Elizabeth, Luke goes there. In fact, the story of Mary, most of what we know about Mary, the mother of Jesus, and most of what we learn about Jesus' birth, where do we find that? We find that in the next chapter of the book of Luke as well. And so this is in Luke chapter 1. And we're going to start reading in verse number 5. In the time of King Herod, uh, or excuse me, the time of Herod, king of Judah, Judea, actually. And I just stopped right there because this was not a great time to be alive. Sometimes we say, hey, this is a really tough time to be raising kids. This would have been a tough time to be raising kids too. Uh, The Romans occupied uh, uh, that area. There was a lot of government friction, um, and there was a lot of religious friction going on here. And Herod was the king. He was a Jew, but he was a Jew more by by, um, blood than he was by faith. And he was a very difficult person. And so this is when the story takes place in a difficult time period as well. But at that time, there was a priest by the name of Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. And his wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. And both of them then came from priest families. So these were very religious people. Both of them, it says in verse number six, were righteous in the sight of God. Observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, but nevertheless, we could almost put in there, they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And adding to that problem was the fact that they were both very old. So we have a a couple that says that they're righteous, they're really good people, and by that we mean that they were followers of God. not that they were perfect. But their fathers got, and yet the same time they were childless, which back in, in that time would have been a huge disgrace. The, the dream of every woman was to have a son, to, to propagate the, the, the family, and the family name would be carried on, and that would be important to, to the father. And so they don't have a child here, and then it says they are very old. And I don't want you to lose track of that idea right there, that they are very old. Keep reading. When Zachari- Once when Zachariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And so let me stop again here and explain what's going on. There were thousands of priests in Israel at that time, but they were divided up into 24 groups or segments, or what is the term that it uses here? Um, divisions. And there were 24 divisions, and each division was assigned two weeks where they would come to Jerusalem and where they would serve in the temple. And after their two weeks were up, they would go back home to wherever they happened to live. And so it just happened that this is the two weeks that Zechariah was on duty. But then there was a lot, or there was like a lottery that was, that was held, and the priest that was chosen in the lottery would get to go offer incense in the temple for that day. And so for those two weeks, all of those priests that would congregate, there would be 14 priests that would be chosen from this lottery to go in. And then once you had done that in your lifetime, you were done. You got one chance to do that. And so this was a huge honor. And this is a huge, in fact, this is like the biggest moment of Zacharias' priestly career is the day that he's chosen to go in and burn the incense. In verse number 10, So when the time came for the burning of the incense, all uh, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. And Zechariah goes inside, and while he's inside, the angel of the Lord appears to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled, and he was gripped with fear, and I would be too. And the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Well, we're not told exactly what the prayer is. We just have to try to figure it out as we go. And there's some different possibilities. But it would seem that the next line gives us an idea of what that prayer was. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And you are to call him John. Now, let me just ask you a question right there you think he was still praying that prayer? Probably not. At some point, I think he had probably looked at Elizabeth and said, well, we prayed and God just chose not to. And okay. And they moved on, except that prayer was still active in a sense before God. Sometimes I think we pray and we give up praying. It's like, oh, well, I guess that's not going to happen. But God hasn't forgotten your prayers. Every prayer that you pray, it stays current with God there. And so The angel says, you're going to have a son and you are to call his name John. And keep that in mind because that's a very special part of the story is what his name actually is. In verse number 14, he will be a joy and a delight to you. And that's what we all want for for our kids. And many will rejoice because of his birth and he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And all of those dreams that we have for our kids, the angel is just telling Zechariah, these are going to come true for you. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even where, before he was born. And it's interesting, we've, we've had the whole abortion thing just swell up and, and kind of take over uh, the, the mindsets of so many people uh, this week. But this is just, where God's the angel speaking for God, but saying, even before John the Baptist is born, even before then, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedience to the wisdom of the, uh, wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. He has an important role that he's going to fill. And so Zachariah asked the angel a question. How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. What you're saying here is kind of crazy. Can can you give me a little bit of a, a, you know, a, a proof of this? And the angel said, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And how? You will not, you will be silent and will not be able to speak until the day that this happens, when the baby is born, because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zachariah, wondering why he was taking so long in the temple. And then when he comes out, he could not speak to them. They realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but he remained unable to speak. And when the time of his service was completed, after those two weeks were done, he returned home. And he returned home with the news that, he and Elizabeth were going to have a baby. And this is just a little bit ironic too. For most of us uh, men, when we find out we're going to have a baby or when, when the announcement's made, it's, it's the wife that makes the announcement, right? So uh, Zachariah comes home and says, guess what? We're going to have a baby. <laughs> Elizabeth's probably like, really? Okay, that's, that's news to me. And, uh, but anyhow, five months later it says, um, or, or excuse me, Elizabeth becomes pregnant for five months She remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And she has this incredible story then, but it gets interrupted as we read through this passage. And we're not going to read through all 80 verses here this morning. We've read through quite a few already. But the story is interrupted and it shifts to another woman who's also going to have this crazy birth story too. And her name is Mary, and they happen to be related. It says we're cousins, and there would have been decades difference in their age. And yet these two cousins are having these crazy birth stories going on at the same time. And so we flip over to to Mary's story, and then it comes back in verse number 39 to more of Elizabeth's story. And at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her room, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, blessed is the child you are born. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill this promise to her. And then we shift again back to Mary. And Mary has this song that she sings or writes or makes up. I don't know exactly how. But it's her, it's her praise song for the fact that she's been chosen to, to be the mother of the Messiah. In verse number 58, or 56 rather, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. And now the narrative switches back to Elizabeth again. And it says this, when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to her son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that God had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. And on the eighth day, when they came to circumcise the child, they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But Elizabeth spoke up and said, no, 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 no. His name is supposed to be John. Okay, so that idea comes up here a second time in the story. And they said to her, the neighbors, the relatives, well, there's no one among us who has that name. And so they made signs to the father to find out what he would like to name the child. And he asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote his name, not will be called John. His name is John, people. It's settled, okay? We're done with this debate. We're done with this questioning here. His name is John. And immediately, his mouth was open and his tongue was set free and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe and throughout the whole hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. And everyone who heard about it asked, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Through the rest of the chapter here, then we see Zachariah's praise song about this baby, about John the Baptist. But what I want to do here for the rest of our time this morning is I want to look at actually nine things that we can learn from this story. Now, this story is a narrative. So when we look at a narrative, we are learning. It's instructive, but there's not promises here for us, and there's not like commands that we have to file. We just simply look at this story and say, what can we learn from this story that would be helpful to us? And so that's what we want to do this morning. We want to look at this story and say, what is in this story that might be helpful to us as parents and parents who are trying to raise kids in a wilderness. So let me just suggest nine things for us here this morning. The first one is this. Make your relationship with God your top priority. Do you notice how this story started? There was a priest named Zachariah who, was, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. This story doesn't start with Zechariah and Elizabeth. It doesn't start with Zechariah and John the Baptist. It starts with Zechariah and his role as priest to go before God. It starts with Zechariah and his relationship before God. And if you want to be a good parent, this is where you start. You start by saying, you know what? My relationship with God is my most important relationship in life. It's not... My relationship with my kids is not most important. My relationship with my wife is not, or husband is not most important. My relationship with God is my most important relationship in life. And this is where this story needs to start. This is actually where the creation story starts, isn't it? God creates Adam and then he creates Eve later. But one of the reasons for that is so that Adam will always know that his first priority is to God. Then it's to Eve. And then it's to the kids that follow. And if we want to be the parents that God wants us to be, and the parents that navigate this wilderness that we live in, we need to put God first. And so this baby was going to have the benefit of parents who loved God and who loved God deeply. And that's what we're told about them to start with. They were righteous people. They weren't perfect but they wanted to do what's right. They wanted to follow God. They wanted to live for God, love God, serve God. And that much they could do. And so they did that even before they had a child. And that's a reminder to all of us. These are, these are parents who make a difference. The ones who make God their first priority. And then we would say to this, you need to make your relationship with your mate your next priority. They were a couple before they were parents. And I think we need to be reminded of this. And especially for those of you who got little ones, you were a couple before the little ones came along. And you know what? You're going to be a couple when they're all gone. And my wife and I can sadly speak to that. We were talking, this is the first time ever for my wife that at least one of our kids hasn't been here for for Mother's Day. They move on, but you know what? We're still a couple. And, And that's really, I believe, God's way and God's plan. Make your mate your next priority, because that's who God gave you. In that relationship, Parents, or kids come along later, kids come and kids leave, but make them your, your top priority. I think this is interesting. My wife and I last night were sitting at the dinner table and, and she popped a, a set of cards on the table. And they're cards that we actually give out in the Re-Engage program. They're just conversation starters. And uh, so she just pulled them out and, threw them out and said, here, let's, let's go through some of these cards and we'll talk about it. And the card that came up last night was, what's the best and worst advice anybody ever gave you in marriage? And I really actually didn't ever think of anything that was really bad advice. Um, but the, the thing that I thought of for my good advice, I let my wife go first, and she said the exact same thing. And it was, make your mate more important than your kids. And that was the same thing I'd say, and this is, I think, what we're taught here, and that we can observe in this, um, in this story. You know, you could take another angle on it. and It was, it was Te- Father Father Hesburgh from Notre Dame, and goes back to my Notre Dame roots, who has some uh, who had this quote, and I think it's such a good quote. He said, "The most important gift that a father can give his children is to love their mother." It's pretty good, isn't it? And when we prioritize our mate in our in our relationship, we build security into our homes. And our kids are helped so much by that, not having to worry and wonder about mom and dad. And I realize life doesn't always go perfectly, and and we can't control every circumstance. But where we can emphasize and create a solid relationship, husband and wife, that is beneficial to our kids, too. And the fact that our kids actually see that mom is more important, it's not that our kids aren't important, they're super important but to see that mom's most important is really really healthy for them. Thirdly, pray. And don't stop. And then keep praying some more even when you want to stop and even when what you're praying about doesn't get answered. Keep 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 praying. And I know as a parent, here's one of the hardest things about parenting is the fact that we don't get to control outcomes. I can control the relationship that I have with God. That's on me. I can somewhat control the relationship I have with my wife. Although we talk about this in ReEngage too, we draw circles around ourselves because ultimately I can only be responsible for who's in that circle. That's really, really true when we get to parents. I, I can control inputs. I can't control exactly every decision and in, in, in course that my kids take in life. And that's so hard, isn't it? Because I just, I I still want to be like on that little tricycle that has the big old handle on the back. I still want to be doing that for my adult kids now. Because I think I could help them. But I can't do that. But you know what I can do? I can pray. And I can pray to a God who hears every single request. I love this story. It says they were righteous in the sight of God. So we know that God saw them. And then he says, I have heard your prayers. We know that God heard them. God hears your prayers. Now I mentioned my mom earlier that she's been gone now for 30 years, but I have one memory of my mom that probably, um, above any other memory of my mom is that I would get up in the morning and I go out to the kitchen. I look into the living room and my mom would be on her knees praying. And what was she praying for? Yeah. And my brother, my sister, and, and I'm sure you know many other people there. But prayer has such a powerful impact. And I can remember, I still pray for my kids regularly. I can remember when they were kids, I would just pray God make them strong physically and mentally and relationally and emotionally and spiritually. And I just pray for their hearts and pray that they would love Jesus. And I still talk to my kids and like, what's going on in your life? And like, okay, I'll pray for that. But pray. And you know what? Your kids need to know that you pray for them too. And that doesn't mean just your little kids or your teenagers. That means all of your kids, whether your kids are 55 years old, you can be praying for them. Never stop praying. Number four, lean hard into the role of grace. And this story was big about the fact that John's name was John. Do you know what John means? John means God is gracious. So God said to Zechariah and Elizabeth, name your kid John. So I want you to be reminded every time you call his name that I am gracious. I gave you this gift of a son. And every child that we have is God's gift to us, and it's a gift of grace that we have. But also, it was a reminder that parenting is an effort that requires grace. We can't do this on our own. There's no guarantee that we'll get it right. In fact, if you haven't gotten it wrong yet, it's just because you're not a parent. Like once, once you have been a parent for like 12 hours, you're already confused, and you're pretty sure you've got them messed up for life. And you might have. I don't know. But we, we need grace so desperately. We need grace in our stories. See, I used to think that raising kids was part of it was part of my transactional mindset and faith, and you hear me talk about this so often that if I do this, like if if I am righteous, then then God will bless me oh with a baby. And yet, in this story, what are we told? Elizabeth and and um, Zacharias were righteous, and what happened? They didn't have a baby. Because it's not transactional. And the same thing goes when it comes to our kids. It's not transactional. It's not like if you parent perfectly, that boom, you're going to have perfect kids. First of all, you can't parent perfectly. Secondly, if you did parent perfectly, they still come with hearts and wills that that God has to impact. And so we lean hard into grace. Grace because we do the best job that we can and we try to steer them in, in, in righteousness and to love God. And then we depend on grace in their lives. And so lean hard into grace. We all need God's grace. If our kids do well in life, it's not because we were awesome parents. It's because God is gracious. Number five, know that the Holy Spirit is your greatest ally. We're told that John was filled with the Holy Spirit. We're told that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. We didn't read it, but we're told that Zachariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit works in our hearts, and he works in our kids' hearts too. And actually, the Holy Spirit is going to have more to do with them turning out well than you do. (sighs) That's comforting, isn't it? So... We need to do everything that we can as parents to steer our kids to Christ. And we want to introduce them to Christ. And we want them to trust Christ so that they can Christ can come into their life and the Holy Spirit can come into their life because we need the Holy Spirit in our kids' lives desperately. That's God's plan. And sometimes we can. I don't know if relax is the right word, but sometimes we can remind ourselves of the fact that, you know what, God's got every bit as much invested in my child, if he's a follower of Christ, than I, as I do, and maybe even more so, and he is going to work on that child, and you know what, when they leave your home, the Holy Spirit never leaves their heart. And we can encourage ourselves with that this morning. Number six, accept your role and responsibility and with assurance. Why did God choose these old people to be the parents of a wild kid? I mean, think about John the Baptist the first time he came home and he said, Hey, guess what, Mom? Locusts tastes great. He, this was kind of like he was. I mean, he was not a, a mild character, a mild personality. He was a he was a rough and tumble kid, we see that even in his ministry. But God chose you for the child that you have. Sometimes, maybe as a parent, you've looked at that and thought, oh gosh, I have no idea what to do in this situation. Why me? And maybe you can hear the whisper of God saying, because I chose you. And you'll be okay for this situation. You may need to lean into me. You may need to lean into grace. You may need to pray like crazy. But you will be okay here in this situation. My wife just came back last week from uh, visiting with relatives down in Lyme, Ohio for her aunt's 80th birthday, who when her aunt, I was trying to figure out the math on this, when her aunt was 57, got a four-year-old grandchild to raise and did a pretty good job of it. So uh, just an amazing story there. But I think about this too, this is the story of parenting in old age. And there's a lot of us in this room where that's the stage that we're in. We're parenting in old age. Our kids aren't home anymore, but they didn't stop becoming our kids. I'll always be a parent. And I'll always have the role of parent. And even as my adult kids deal with things, there are ways that I can speak into their lives or pray into their lives or just be present in their lives that matter and make a difference. It didn't, it changed when they went out the door, but it didn't end when they went out the door. And so I'd encourage us all with that. Whatever your role or whatever your responsibility, whatever your station is right now in raising kids, you still are in the position that God's put you and God will give you what you need. And for Elizabeth and Zechariah, yeah, you're old. You got this kid, he's kind of a wild kid, but you're going to be just fine. Number seven, Teach your kids to be strong in spirit. We saw that at the end there in that verse number 80. The child grew in spirit. Now, it's not capitalized. He just grew in his character. And he grew in areas, I believe, like faith and integrity and courage and justice and compassion. Focus on character with your kids if they're still at home. But, you know, you can still promote those things. Even in your conversations if your kids are not at home. Number eight, don't fear the wilderness. Because we have a God who's bigger than the wilderness. In fact, we have a God who sometimes puts kids in the wilderness because he knows he's going to need wilderness kids down the road here for big responsibilities. And so sometimes we're like, oh, it's so hard raising kids in today's world. Yeah, it is. I mean, I wasn't ready for it. Nobody told me how cell phones were going to change life for my kids. And it's like, boom, light my face. And you know what? Some, for some reason, though, God's like, okay, I got this. I, this is the situation, but I can handle this too. Don't fear the wilderness. And then the last thing, it goes back to a verse that we didn't read, but I want to read it for you now. It's when we shifted aside to talk to Mary about Mary's story for a few minutes. In verse number 35, The angel said to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born to you, will be called the Son of God. And then notice this next verse, verse number 36. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. Believe God for the impossible. I don't know what's going on with your kids. Sometimes it's a kid's situation where it's a health matter. You're begging God for their health. Nothing's impossible with God. Maybe it's a situation where there's a child that's become estranged and you're just begging God for that relationship to come back. Nothing is impossible with God. Maybe it's a situation where you see a child going through a relationship deal and you're like, oh gosh, this is not a good thing. Nothing is impossible with God. And this story is about a man and a woman who are way too old to be having kids because nothing is impossible with God. So I don't know where you are in your parenting right now. I don't know the wilderness that you're facing. Let me just remind you of a few things this morning. You can love God and you can have a relationship with God And that's going to make a difference to your kids, to your mate, to your family. You can do that. Every one of us can do that. Secondly, for most of us, we can love our mate. And that matters too. Thirdly, you can pray and then you can pray some more and then you can pray some more. But you can pray because there is grace and there is the Holy Spirit. And there is a God who will help you in this role, who will help you through the wilderness. So you can embrace the adventure And you can believe God for the impossible. Let's pray. God, thank you for the gift of kids. Some days it's a lot of joy, and some days it's a lot of pain. And some days it's a lot of scratching our heads because we don't know what to do with the situation we're in. I'm thankful for the fact that you are the God of the wilderness. You are in it with us. And so this morning, I would just speak to all of us who are parents, and I realize not everybody is. Some of you are going to be parents someday, and may you take hope in what we've talked about this morning. May you bring encouragement to your parents in the fact that you follow hard after God. But for those of us who are parents this morning, where do you need the encouragement? Maybe it's just to really lean into that relationship with God, to be the person before God you're supposed to be. Maybe it's just really like drilling down on your marriage and putting the effort it's going to take to, to build in your family. Maybe it's just praying. Maybe you've given up praying. Don't give up praying. Maybe it's thinking, I don't have a role anymore. Well, you have one. That doesn't change. The role may change, but the fact that you have one doesn't. What do you need from God this morning to make the commitment or breathe that prayer that you need? If you're here this morning, we haven't talked about this, but the greatest relationship you can have is with Jesus Christ. And when you do that, the Holy Spirit comes into your life. It helps you as you follow God. And if you've never invited Christ in your life, I would encourage you to do that even this morning. God, we pray on this Mother's Day. For your encouragement. We pray for your Holy Spirit to come on us as parents, and we pray for your Holy Spirit to work in the lives of our kids. We offer them up to you this morning. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, please, as we finish the service?